if, if you can, turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, that's the text that we're going to be in this morning. Um, the text, I believe, will come on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible, but Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, for this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary uh, released a list of the new and approved words that were being added into their dictionary for 2018. And I want to just read a couple of them to you because they're quite funny. So those of you who are technology-based, you might recognize some of these words that are now officially part of the English language. Um, airplane mode, uh, predictive text, force quit, and then the things that we do when we buy things, um, e-shopping or e-signature. Those are now official words as part of the English dictionary. For those of us who are foodies, you'll appreciate that the, uh, my two favorite, um, avo and guac, are now official words in the English language. And Vanessa will be glad to know that, the, that mocktail is now an official word. Uh, a mock cocktail? Mocktail? Okay. And then I love this one, hangry. Have you heard of, heard of the word hangry? When someone is angry because they're hungry? That is now an official English word. Um, I think as sign of the times... There are over a hundred words that have the prefix or prefix self that are now official language, official part of the English language. And I think that's a sign of the times, including words like to self-diagnose or to self-talk um, or self-obsessed, which I think describes the culture in which we, in which we currently live. Um, and I say all that to say there's a, there's a phrase or, or a, a kind of a word that I want to introduce, hopefully into our language um, as we kind of talk through this idea of the gift of salvation, and it's the phrase greater greatness. Um, and I, I use it in the context of God's grace. And I want to uh, uh, share with you today about the greater greatness of God's grace. And that's the subtitle to the message that I want to share on the gift of salvation. Hugh asked me to teach on the gift of salvation this morning, and the first text that I thought of when I thought of this idea of preaching on the gift of salvation was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. It is probably my favorite text in all of Scripture, and um, not only that, but so many commentators uh, uh, speak about the fact that that text is, is the text that unpacks this incredible gift that God has given us through His Son, Jesus, the fact that we are born again and saved by His grace. Um, some of you may have heard of the, of the, um, uh, the, the person who, who preached during the Second World War. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous, well-known preacher. And he says this about the text we're going to look at today. Listen to this. I know of no chapter in the Bible, speaking of Ephesians chapter 2, I know of no chapter in the Bible which states so clearly and perfectly in one and the same time the essential evangelistic message for the unbeliever and the status and privileges for the believer. I love that. This, this text that we're going to look at today perfectly outlines what it, what it means for uh, the, the fact that Jesus has done for, 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 you know, for the unbeliever, but also it, it unpacks the reality of the privileges and the status for the believer. So there may be some unbelievers with us today, those who don't follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, and most of us here do. And I want to say, no matter where you are, this message is perfectly suited for you. This message is absolutely perfectly suited for you. Before we get to the text, just a, a quick little context um, about Ephesians. This letter was written by Paul to a church in Ephesus, and he was explaining or um, unpacking what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, what it means to be citizens in the kingdom of God. And he mentions in Ephesians chapter 1 two things in particular. Firstly, 
that our citizenship in heaven is, uh, finds its outworking in the context of God's plan. God's great plan for mankind, our salvation, finds its context in that. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, um, God chose us before the creation of the world. God chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the whole world. I mean, think about that for a moment. Just, that, that's, that's, that just blows your mind. God, before he created the heavens and the earth, God, God not, not only knew you, uh, God chose you. God chose you for a time such as this. God chose you to be in this city, in this neighborhood, in this church for a time such as this. God chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then it goes on, Paul goes on to say, and he has made known to us the mystery of his will. Uh, all of us, I know, ask the question, what is God's will for my life? What is, what is God's plan for my life? And he says he's, cho he's made known to us the mystery of his will, which is to unite all things together in Christ. You want to know the will of God for your life? It's to come under the lordship of Jesus. The will of God for your life is for the lordship of Jesus to be manifest in every area, in your, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your parenting, in the way you steward your finances. In your, in, in, God wants Jesus to be lord over your fears. God wants Jesus to be lord over your anxieties. God wants Jesus to be lord over your passions and your deepest desires and your longings and everything that you do at work, at home, with your friends. That's God's will for your life. And then he goes on to say, in the second part of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul goes on to say, the way we come to know or understand what it means to be saved is not by human intellect, it's not by study, it's by revelation. It's by revelation. And he, and he says, as we, as we pray and ask God, the Father of glory, for the spirit of wisdom and, and, and revelation to know Jesus better. And I love that. I love how Paul explains that in the context of salvation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved. We pray to God, the, the, the Father that we would have the spirit of revelation to know Jesus better. And so with that in mind, we then get to this text that we're going to look at. And, and as we read uh, the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to look out for three things. And this is going to be the kind of format. It's a bit of a Bible study this morning, but I don't, I don't want you to leave with notes. We are going to study this text, but we're not going to leave with notes. I trust we're going to leave with a transformed heart. And so the three things I want you to notice as we go through this passage. Firstly, where I was. Secondly, and this is found at the end of the text, where I am now. But most importantly, how did I get there? How did God get me to the place where I am? So let's read together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And then verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, I'm reading from the NIV, but just quickly read verse 4 from the ESV, English Standard Version. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And verse 4, just if you can cast your eyes on verse 4. Verse 4, in fact, the, t- the first two words of verse 4 in the ESV is the, is the crux of understanding the gift of salvation. It's the, it's the pivotal phrase on which this whole text, or this whole passage turns. But God... That's the truth. That's the, that's the key thing to understand when it comes to the gift of salvation. Those two words, but God. Every other religion, every single humanistic or secular philosophy talks about but you. But you. The world says that we are in trouble, and we know we are. That we, we, you know, we look around. There's poverty. There's lack of education. There's systemic racism. You can list a number of issues that we face in the world. Miss America says we need world peace. I mean, there is, there is so much that, that, that we are desperately needing. And humanistic philosophy tells us that the way to improve is through human progress. But you, you need to do more. We need to do more. We need to learn more. And those are important issues for us to deal with. But they're not going to get resolved with more effort from, from us. Religion's exactly the same. Religion also says but you. Religion says pray more. Religion says read the Bible more. Religion says give away more. The religion you know, says make sure that your good behavior outweighs your bad behavior. It's all about what you and I need to do. And the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't agree with, the, with humanistic philosophy or world religions. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, but you is actually the problem. The solution when it comes to the gospel is, but God. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So firstly, what was I saved from? What was I saved from? Verse 1 to 3 describes that. And let's read it again. Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature And following its desires and thoughts, like the rest of us, we were by nature objects of wrath. This is not a pretty picture. Verse 1 to 3 are probably the most most overwhelming, discouraging verses that we can find in Scripture. But Paul wants us to understand, and we can't gloss over this, because Paul wants us to know the the depths of sin, the the, the overwhelming nature of sin, the, the terrible situation we were in. Because when we understand that, we can get to see the greater greatness of God's grace. And that's why I've used that phrase, the greater greatness of God's grace. Sin is great. Let's not make any bones about it, but God's grace is greater. And that's the point that we need to understand in these first three verses. And so Paul mentions three things that we are saved from. Three things. Firstly, death. Look at verse 1. Death. Before Please know this, before we knew Jesus, before you knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, you were not just going through a difficult time. You were not just indifferent to God. You were not just struggling a bit spiritually. Before you knew God, you were dead. I was dead. We were as interested in the things of God as a corpse would be. That's the reality. We were, we were dead. Life without God is living death. 
Life without God, we are, we are blinded to the glory of Jesus, we are deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we are hardened to the love of the Father. Life outside of God's presence is no life at all. That's why we gather every single Sunday. That's why we gather in home groups or connect groups. That's why we gather to pray, because we come together as a community to be in the presence of God. That's life. That's where life is found. So we are saved, firstly, from death. Secondly, Paul says we are saved from slavery. And you can see that in verses 2 and 3. And he uses the word to, to follow. I, I followed the ways of the world. To, to, I was enslaved. I was in bondage, is, actu is actually what he is saying. I was in bondage, firstly, to the ways of the world. Paul's saying, before we knew Jesus, we were, we were influenced by culture. We were shaped by the world around us. We were, we were being pressed into the mold that the world has for us. Now, there's nothing wrong when we follow the ways of the world when it comes to certain trends like you know, wearing thick-rimmed glasses when you, you know, get to 46. This is, not a, this is not a fashion trend, by the way. These actually are real glasses. I now have 46-year-old eyes, um, and unfortunately, I do need these to see. But, but it, it's okay. This is, Paul's not talking about following the fashion trends of the world. Paul is talking about when the ways of the world start to define our identity. That's what Paul is getting at. And, and as, as we all know, when we start to live according to the ways of the world, the only result is fear. Fear that we will never fit in. Fear that we will never make it. Fear that we will never be accepted by the world. Fear that we will never do enough. And even if we do enough to reach it, whatever it is, we start to live with fear that we can never sustain what the world demands of us. We followed the ways of the world. Paul says we followed the kingdom of the, of, of the air, the kingdom of the ruler of the air. And we shouldn't be surprised that behind this disdain for God, behind this, 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 this attitude of dismissal towards God is Satan, is the enemy, is the devil. Which is why in a different book, in the book of Colossians, Paul describes salvation as a literal transfer of kingdoms. He says, you were part of the kingdom of darkness. You were part of the kingdom of Satan. And God, by his grace, through his son Jesus, transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And then in verse 3, we see the third thing that we follow, or the third thing that we are enslaved to, and that is the, the cravings of the sinful nature, the, the passions that come from self-centeredness. Before Jesus, we had a human nature that was curved in on itself, that only essentially always asked the question, what is in it for me? That's the power of advertising. That's that the world has understood the power of the sinful nature that is turned in on itself because advertising is always asking the question, wanting you to ask the question, what's in it for me? And can I say that's why religion is so unhelpful? Because religion uses God for our own advantage. And it's not helpful at all. So I was enslaved from within by the sinful nature. I was enslaved from without by the world. And behind both is Satan. I was saved from death. I was saved from slavery. Don't worry, it gets good news in a few moments. But the last thing that we were saved from is, is condemnation. At the second, look at the last bit of, of verse 3. We were by nature objects of wrath. And, and We've we, we got to understand that before we knew Jesus, before we came to know Jesus, we were, we, were, we were under the wrath of God, under the righteous anger of God. I think sometimes the, the idea of the wrath of God is like a 
dirty family secret that everyone knows but no one wants to talk about. But, but in all reality, when we understand the wrath of God, it is reason for worship. Listen to, to, to this passage that I found about the wrath of God. Unlike our anger, God's anger is not bad-tempered or spiteful. It's not revenge. It's not unpredictable or subject to mood. The wrath of God is His perfect, righteous, predictable, unchanging, consistent, and uncompromising response to evil. Because God responds predictably, consistently, and uncompromisingly to evil, this is important, I can live in peace knowing that Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God and I am in, in Him. That's why the wrath of God is reason to celebrate when we understand what it actually is. And that we are, in, and for those of us who believe in Jesus, we are in Him and the wrath of God has therefore been satisfied. We've been saved from death. We've been saved from slavery. We've been saved from condemnation. And I say all that to say it's no wonder that we need the greater greatness of God's grace to be on display in our lives. That's what I was saved from. But secondly, very quickly, we've got to understand what am I saved to? As a believer in Jesus, where are we now? And we find the answer to that question in verse 10. Drop down to verse 10. Look at, look at verse 10 with me very quickly. For we are God's workmanship. This is where we are now in Jesus. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or some translations say, which God, we are uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that we should walk in them. Two very quick things about where we are right now. Firstly, we are new creations in Christ. We're going to speak about this in a few moments. We are new creations in Christ. Salvation is not fixing what was broken. Salvation is not restoring what was damaged. Salvation is not cleaning up what has been soiled. Salvation is, 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 is burying what was dead and resurrecting from nothing a new creation now that we are in Christ. And because of that, we are God's workmanship. We are, some translations say we are God's masterpiece. It's where we get the English word poem. God is writing a new story on our hearts because of what he has done in Jesus. That, that we should walk in the, in the good works that God has prepared for us to do. Good works of declaring his glory. Good works of speaking of his goodness. Good works of telling others what Jesus has done in our lives. What I'll save from, what I'm saved to, now we're going to spend the rest of this morning looking at what I was saved through. How did I get there? How did God take me from, from where I was to where I am now? How did God save me? How did, how did God's greater greatness of grace outwork itself in my life? And again, the key word or the key verse or the key phrase is the phrase found in verse 4. It's not but you. It's not but you. There's nothing that we have done to earn salvation, to deserve salvation, or to obtain salvation. But you is not found in verse 4. It is but God. I'm saved through the intervention and action of God. That's the gift of salvation. God rescued me. God rescued you. Look at verse 4. Let's read verse 4 through 7 again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age, ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God saved us. God rescued us. God stepped in and, and he has delivered us. We are, we are born again. We have been given a, a brand new life in Christ Jesus. He, he's made us alive by burying the old me and raising up or resurrecting the new me. If, if you are a parent and you've, you've either have or, or have had young children, or if you're not a parent, I'm, I know you can picture what I'm about to describe, but sometimes your children will, will, will when they're still in diapers, will so fill their diaper. Sorry for this disgusting picture, but this is the best illustration I can think of. They, they will so fill their diaper that it will soil the clothes so badly that you can't clean them. Do you know what? You, you, you've all been there. Where you, and, and for us, for some of us, the threshold is very different. I'm a clean freak. So the threshold for throwing away the old is, is a very low threshold. But you guys know what it's like. You're, the, 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 the garments are so soiled that even if you try to clean it, you're actually rubbing the, the, the dirt into the garment. Where the best thing to do is throw it into a trash bag and find a dumpster far away from your house where you can't find the smell. The smell won't find you. That's... That's essentially what God has done with us. When we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's not taking the old me and trying to clean us up so much that it is just a clean version of the old me. No, he, he, he as it is, wraps us up in a, in a plastic bag and he throws us away and resurrects a brand new creation. Isaiah 64 says this, the, the best of us, the, our, our most righteous acts, Isaiah 64 says, our most righteous acts are like filthy rags. Filthy rags, spoiled garments, spoiled garments. We aren't cleaned up versions of our old selves. Paul does a wonderful thing of explaining salvation, not so much in terms of what God does to us, but what God has done to Jesus on our behalf. And he, and he links us in. Look at verse 5. God made us alive with Christ. God raised us up, verse 6, together with Christ. God seated us with Christ in heavenly realms, in verse 6. We are, we are co-resurrected. We are, we are co-raised. We are co-seated. Why? Because we are in Christ. And, and this phrase, in Christ, is so essential to understand the gift of salvation. I, I, for me, it's the summary statement of, of the gift of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. What, what has happened to, to him has happened to me because I am in him. That's, that's the reality of salvation. What has happened to, to Jesus happened to me because I am, am, am in him. We're about to go into election season. Uh, we, we, we elected a new president a couple years ago. Um, when we go into election season, we, we, we vote for the potential governor or the potential president but if they are married, there is something that happens to the spouse of the one that we elected. You're following what I'm saying? So when, the, when a new governor is elected, the spouse of the governor has privileges because of, what, of the governor being voted in. Same with the president, same with any political figure. What happened to the, to the, to the spouse of the governor happens to that person because of what happened to the governor. 
Do you, you follow my logic? That's what happened with Jesus. What happened to Jesus happened to me, not because I did anything, but because I'm attached to Jesus. That's what Paul is trying to say in these, in, in these verses. And, and it gives rise to this phrase, which we love to use, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Don't we love to use that phrase? I am, where are you? I am, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. You know, we love to use that phrase, but, but what does it mean? I mean, we're standing here on earth. We're facing hardships and difficulties and challenges and parenting issues and financial struggles. What does it mean? Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I want, I want to just use an illustration to try and describe what that means. It'll hopefully bring some meaning to that phrase. I used to uh, work in business for many years and had the privilege of traveling around the world, um, setting up distribution networks for a big chemical company that I worked for. And back in the day, I used to travel business class, and I used to travel business class often. And so I was kind of ranking up, racking up points and had sort of a, a high status with, with, with British Airways. And once, just once, changed my life forever, once I walked up to the counter of British Airways in Mexico City, flying back to Europe, and they said to me, good afternoon, Mr. Sudworth. I have good news. We have seated you in first class. We ha and they used this phrase, we've seated you in first class. I didn't stop the person and say, no, no, no. You have not seated me in first class. I'm standing right here in front of you. How can you say I've seat you've seated me in first class? I said to them, thank you very much. Because I knew that my immediate future, my immediate destiny had been changed forever. I turned around with my first class ticket in my hand and I walked differently. My shoulders were back, my head was high. I was displaying this to everyone who could see. Every single uh, security official, I would display my first class ticket. And the most exciting thing, before I got on the plane to be seated in first class, I had access, not to the business class lounge, to the first class lounge. Just for those few moments, I had access to the first class lounge. That's what's happened to us in Jesus, when we've been seated in heavenly places. We're not sitting there now. We're not there yet. But it changes our, our future and our destiny forever. Knowing that we are seated in heavenly places should change the way we look at ourselves. It should change the way we walk. It should change the way we interact with people. And best of all, we don't have access to a first class lounge. We have access to the presence of the Father access to the presence of the Father, because why? We have been seated in heavenly places in Jesus. That means when we sin, not if, when, when we sin, we realize that we are not acting according to our new status. We're not acting according to our new status. And we, we make the adjustments that are necessary, not out, of, not out of legalism or out of fear, but out of re a recognition that we're not being true to who we are. In Jesus Christ. Why did God do this? Why did God save us? Because of his love. Because of his mercy. Because of his grace. And because of his kindness. God loves us because he's gracious to us. And God is gracious to us because he loves us. That's the circular argument. That is the truth of, of what it means to be in Christ. God loves us because he's gracious to us. And he's gracious to us because he loves us. And how did he do this? Look at verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not, by your, not from yourselves. This is not but you. It is the gift of God. Grace is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. Not by works, 
so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The, the fullness, the richness, the, the expanse, the, 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 the eternal kind of uh, endless, boundless reality of all that God has, God's riches, all of that is available to us at the expense of Jesus Christ. He paid the price. By grace, through faith. That word through is so important. It's not by grace, by faith. Faith is not our, our part of the equation. We don't earn salvation by working up faith. It is through faith. It is through the avenue of faith. It is through trust. It is through taking God at his word. Not because we work up enough conviction and belief to believe that God wants to save us. By grace, through faith. The gift of salvation is the greater greatness of God's grace received through faith as it reaches deeper than the depths of any sin and it seats me in Christ at God's right hand. That's the gift of salvation. Humanism, secular reasoning, religion, they'll tell you, but you, but you. You need to do more. You need to earn more. Do you know that Buddha's last words were, were this? This is my advice. All things in the world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard, therefore, to gain your own salvation. Buddha's last words. And I think that's the philosophy by, by which so many in the world live by. So many in the world live according to that, 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 that philosophy. I must work hard to gain my own salvation. The world says, but you. Sometimes you and I say, but I. I, I must do more. I must work harder. I must pray more. I must, I must, I must. God says to us, but God. Buddha's last words. Work hard to earn your salvation. Jesus' last words, it is finished. It is finished. The price has been paid. It's been done. It is finished.